0: Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 30, we reveal who will be Fox's lead commentary team for the upcoming matches at uh, actually next summer's World Cup already, as well as discussing the latest news from Fox and Telemundo about the Confederations Cup coverage, the viewing numbers for last weekend's Champions League final, plus our thoughts on the impact that David Beckham's Miami team could have on MLS. And we've got feedback from you in our listener mailbag. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, who is uh, looking to go for his uh, coaching badges, uh, so I hear.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, thinking that'll probably deepen my understanding of the sport as an analyst. Now, it's funny, uh, since I've uh, made that announcement publicly, more and more people are telling me I should go for my referee badges and take a referee course or two because... Through the years, myself included, so many in our industry have been uh, critical of referees without really knowing what a referee sees, or the, the depth perception they have, or the angles, or or the latest FIFA uh, mandates on officiating. So that that's interesting. Maybe that's something I'll do down the road.
0: It was so long ago, Kartik, that I took. A, I, I can't remember if it was a coaching, um, the coaching F license, or if it was the referees license. But this is going back. Uh, this is before the 1994 World Cup. So early 90s, I remember taking. It and oh, wow. uh, I passed it but I, I, I'm sure I have the certificate someplace but it's so long ago I, I can't even remember what it was So, but no I think it's a good idea and uh, I think anyone in the soccer business especially talent too for a lot of these uh, well we'll be talking about it in a little bit for a lot of these uh, broadcasters should go and get their coaching badges to have, to have a, a better understanding of the game not just from the rules perspective but uh, just uh, the, the intricacies of, of the game itself So for those listeners who haven't uh, had a chance to listen to the World Soccer Talk podcast before, uh, what we're we're about. So if you've never listened before, it's uh, a podcast that focuses on the soccer media coverage. So it kind of dives deep into analyzing how well or how not so well some of these broadcasters are doing in covering uh, the beautiful game for us uh, from around the world onto our TV sets and streaming devices. So let's kick off first, Kartik, by asking you what you've been watching uh, this past week?
1: Yeah, obviously, like everybody else, watched the UEFA Champions League final on Friday. Um, and um, my, I have to say, from a soccer perspective, football perspective, was a little bit disappointed by Juventus, particularly in the second half. Um, really expected uh, that back three to lock down Real Madrid. Um, I know a lot of us had deluded ourselves into believing that uh, that Juventus' back three was as good as Real Madrid's attack, right? And, and uh, that proved not to be the case. So, obviously, like everybody else, watch that. Been do- dosing heavy on the FIFA U-20 World Cup. Watched the Mexico-England uh, quarterfinal. Watched the USA-Venezuela quarterfinal. That went 120 minutes. Uh, and uh, uh, watched the, uh, the 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 italy Zambia quarterfinal. That went 120 minutes. Um and, and then now um, England and Italy just concluded as we record this in the semi-final England winning 3-1 really um, the core of that England team is, is an Everton core and we always hear about how great Everton's academy is right mm-hmm. um, and and th- that was a that's been a talking point a lot on NBC's Premier League coverage. Uh, the guys that uh, have been stars from Everton in this tournament—Calvert Lewin, Lukman—they're players that I think people who watch the Premier League week in and week out are familiar with. Uh, they're guys that Ronald, Ronald kuman had kind of. Uh, Calvert Lewin—they actually bought from Sheffield United. Remember Sheffield Wednesday. Remember, but. Um, um, they're, they're guys that Ronald Koeman has bled, bled into their team recently and has been able to really make um, quite impactful in terms of uh, first-team action. So I think that, that's part of the reason. We, England te- typically has talented teams at youth tournaments. They tend to have teams that perform well at youth tournaments, but they're performing even better at this tournament, I think, because they have enough guys. Um, uh, Amoa from from Spurs, Ojo from Liverpool that have gotten enough game time uh, a lot of, in a lot of cases in cup game matches but still have gotten enough game time at top clubs that it's making a difference and then Solanke has been a big star and he, he's a player that um, has come through Chelsea's system and um, is doing really well in this World Cup
0: well, for me, Kartik, it was a uh, – I, I was watching mostly a lot of international friendlies uh, this past week. Of course, the Champions League final, too. Uh, my week started off watching um, – this is going back over a week ago now – the Mexico against Ireland match and the friendly. Uh, felt kind of sorry for Ireland in this one because you, you, you know that this is a Mexico song and dance show where they're just inviting – some weaker teams over just to get some playing time. And it's a friendly, I mean, 99% of that that crowd is going to be uh, hardcore Mexican fans. Uh, Ireland did pretty well. Actually, they stayed in the match, though. Um, some, some opportunities for some of the younger players to get some playing time. I watched the first 30 minutes on Univision. I enjoyed that. And then for the rest of the game, I switched it over to uh, FS1. And it was JP uh, De La Camera and Kobe Jones commentating on that one. The Champions League final, uh, Kartik, uh yeah, this one was a little bit difficult for for, for me and, and for you because we were both at the um, Garage Soccer event in South Florida, which is a, a table soccer uh, competition. We had a tournament there, and uh, so we had – it was a viewing party too. So we had the UEFA Champions League final on the big screen behind us. Um, so with the, the kind of the noise in, in the pub that we're in uh, uh, at that final, it was difficult to hear the actual commentary. But I do have some uh, input uh, in a minute or two from uh, one of our writers. And uh, but what, what I was able to hear, John Strong sounded great on the, the call, uh, especially the goal calls uh, during the game. And uh, what a goal by Mandzukic. Uh, that was one of the best goals I've ever seen in a UEFA Champions League final. Um, it wasn't even a bicycle kit- kick. It was kind of a kind of a h- hybrid of a volley slash bicycle kick. But that was absolutely incredible to watch. And, and the, the crowd went crazy when that went in. Um, from what I could tell, Kate Abdo uh, did a lot more work on this one for Fox Deporters than Fox Sports. And um, I, I didn't watch the Fox Sport, uh, Fox Deporters coverage, but uh, from what I understand is that she did quite a lot of work. Uh, and she speaks fluent Spanish, which I didn't realize too. So she's, I mean, when you think about it, multi-versatile. I mean, she speaks German fluently, uh, of course, English, uh, Spanish. And I think a couple of other languages too, and um, so to have an asset like that, where you can have somebody that can, I mean, dovetail and kind of jump into the Fox Deportes and feel completely natural doing the Spanish language broadcasts as well as the English language broadcasts. Uh, that's a great, uh, a great find. There, well, it's not that. It's we all knew she was talented, but uh, it's a great acquisition by Fox. Um, What else was there too? Actually, so Kate Abdo for the English language uh, broadcast on Fox, she was on for 67 seconds. And I think I was at the beginning of the show just to kind of kick things off and then handed it over to to Rob Stone. Uh, Jeff Shreves, the uh, reporter from Sky Sports who does uh, some reporting for FS1 or Fox in this case, he was on for 55 seconds. Which is interesting because in the press release, they focused, Okay, right, it's going to be, you know, we have John Strong and Brad Friedle doing the commentary. We've got Kate Abdo. We've got Jeff Shreves. We've got, I mean, those names are listed, but each of them were on for less than a minute. Uh, So so since we weren't able to hear the actual coverage, uh, the actual analysis from Fox Sports, uh, we had Oliver say, uh, one of our writers uh, provided his analysis on the coverage. And he said um, the studio pundits tend uh, to focus more on human factors and analysis of individuals in isolation instead of team tactics. Some hardcore viewers may feel a bit empty, but the casual viewers did learn something from the halftime tactical analysis segment done by Warren Barton with the Ronaldo goal, in which Mandzukic uh, was caught uh, having to defend both Carvajal and Ronaldo. And that segment was good enough, uh, given the time limitation and the overall composition of the viewership.
1: I think Warren Barton's becoming really good at, uh, at because he was a defender, they've now, uh, after having him on, um, uh, in the studio for, since the 2008-2009 Premier League season, so it's been 10 years, basically, I think this is 10th season, they finally, or ninth season, they finally isolated his, his real strength, which is analyzing defensive errors and defensive positioning. But, but and he's really good at it. So he um, I'm glad they've done that.
0: He is good at it, but that's kind of limited, though, Karthik. I mean, if
1: you know I mean, if it's a game where you have two attacking teams, and well, it's too bad he's not covering the Premier League because there's defensive yep. errors in every Premier League game. I mean, the <laughs> Champions League is a little higher level. No, seriously. I mean, people, right. people, no, people, are in love with the Premier League. Don't don't want to admit that, but uh, it's just it's it's some really bad football. He'd be he'd be better off covering that league at this point. Yeah, like, go on.
0: So 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 good. So, some good uh, feedback and analysis from Oliver especially in terms of uh, the analysis from Fox Sports, which is focusing on the individuals uh, instead of the team tactics, uh, which is par for the course uh, with Fox. Uh, no surprises there. Um, after the Champions League final um Fox did premiere the first episode of the Confederations Cup preview show so both, uh, I think kartik you missed it but I, was, I missed it, I was at the pub still playing in the, at the table soccer tournament so uh, here's what Oliver had to say about that which is the um, on Fox Sports and he says that uh, the way that Ali Wagner analysed Ronaldo as an efficient scientist during the Confederation Cup preview show is an illustration of the strengths and weaknesses of co-commentators and studio pundits who were part of the US uh, Women's National Team pool. Uh, most of these analysts and that would include Ali Wagner, Kate McGrath, uh, Kat Whitehill, uh, Daniel Slayton as well as uh, the older generation from the 1990s such as uh, Brandy Chastain, Julie Fowdy, uh, etc, uh, who have all been around the, the, the sports TV in- industry long enough uh, to keep working, tend to uh, read people better than they read defensive tactical um, basically setups or, or schemes.
1: So, so some interesting. Um, there. Th- I think that that's a. R- really good uh, observation by Albert, and I'll tell you why it is. The U.S. in that era, uh, Tony, Tony's the CCO, great coach, okay, not taking anything away from him. The U.S. in that era relied almost exclusively on superior athleticism in the women's game to, um, to win games. The tactics were not important. So I think that that is part of the reason why the players who came out of that generation are um, less tactically uh, attuned and more personality attuned. Now, the next this generation, obviously, there's the generation with Abby Wambach, etc. But this generation uh, coming up now that when Morgan Bryan is a pundit, if she is uh, 10, 15 years from now or or, or any of the other young U.S. national team players, uh, Crystal Dunn, etc., they might have a completely different perspective because they're playing in an era now where at the national team level, there's a lot more uh, tactical variation and they're having to compete with the likes of france and england and, and germany and sweden who were really good tactically and uh, also just uh, nwsl i think is a higher level league than wusa was at the time so um oh and crystal dunsky she's playing at chelsea so she's playing in a, in uh in england and seeing a lot of other things but i would attribute that to the era those women played in and and uh ali wagner's a little uh uh younger than kate McGrath and, and uh, julie fowdy but Mm-hmm. uh the u s is over reliance on athleticism you hear about it all the time I,
0: I would also argue that uh, it 's only in the last eight years, whether across men 's or women 's soccer that we 've really kind of dived deeper into tactical analysis anyway since uh you mean jonathan wilson 's book uh, and uh, zonal marking the website, you mean in terms of just deep level
1: tactical analysis of matches yeah you know i think I think you're right I think we went from in two 2000- thousand Nine uh, around the time of that Champions League final, marveling at how Tiki Taka worked, Tiki Taka worked, and, and um, Pep Guardiola's team, uh, and, and the death by a thousand cuts to 2010 World Cup when Michael Cox had really launched zonal marking, and there was a lot of interest in the his thoughts about the World Cup, and then you went into the next season in Europe, the 10-11 season in all the big European leagues, with a different perspective. It's really only been since Michael Cox launched that site. I think it became very tactically, uh, tactics became very in vogue, and obviously Jonathan Wilson's inverting the pyramid. I would uh, point out uh, Simon Cooper, who who I've talked to from time to time, a famous football author, told me that part of the reason for this, I'd ask, in this specific question after the 2010 World Cup was that there was a um, um, anti-intellectualism in how the, ma- the game was covered in the English language mm-hmm. um, up until the late 1990s. And you didn't transition really away from that completely until 2006, 2007, 2008, where you were beginning to look at things a lot more analytically. So it's kind of a partially a result of that. So many of the players who played in systems before that are not tactically, uh, maybe as tactically aware or have not been raised as analysts that way. In Warren Barton's case, he's had to transition into that. So um, I think his transition has gone quite well. But uh, look, the, the, the younger... Breed of American uh, co-commentators, the Taylor Twelmans, the Kyle Martinos, Martinos exclusively in the studio now, except for once a year. But they're much more tactically uh, aware and tactically able to describe these things than um, than the Alexi Lawlesses or the Cello Balboas or the John Harks, um, et cetera. That previous generation of, of U.S. players, probably for the same reason. I would point out though the psychological factors that the likes of Winalda and Lawless talk about are equal important in many ways sure. so let's not downplay that uh, it, it's just that i think that and, and when when all talks about him he he nails it most of the time so and he and he gets tactics too uh, but those psychological factors are also important so i don't want to make it sound like we we think analysts should be talking tactics uh 99 of the time and uh in front of the, these whiteboards uh with player movements there are psychological factors to this game that are just as important.
0: That's the thing about Bonaldo though too. He's actually able to cover both grounds exceedingly well, both the tactical side and the psychological side, as well as really kind of giving some clear uh I guess I guess uh input in in, in regards to his you know, being a former player, uh and the things that he sees. I mean, but much better able to, to communicate that than say say Warren Barton. Um unless it's a, it's a defensive situation. But uh, I think overall, though, too, with the Champions League coverage for the final uh, from Fox, it was a thumbs up. I don't, I don't, I don't think there were too many complaints. Uh, I think we have one or two in the listener mailbag. But but for the most part, it seemed to be uh, well done. And uh, the TV ratings, we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit, too. Now, Karthik, I saw a little bit of the Toulon tournament, uh, which is um, the U-20 tournament in Europe, uh, featuring many of the... Uh, Some of the best teams from around the world um, playing there. And uh, one of the matches I watched, actually, the whole tournament's been uh, broadcast on BN Sports. Uh, One of the games I saw was Wales against Ivory Coast. And uh, I watched this one. Actually, the football was a good level football. And again, too, you mentioned uh, a lot of the youth players. There were, I think, one or two Everton players here there. Uh, Some players from Swansea and Carpentry. And um, almost all, I think all of them actually were uh, British Isles uh, players. But um, it's the first time that Wales has ever played in the U twenty uh, Toulon tournament, and the game finished two two. Pretty entertaining match, um, but it wasn't enough for Wales to progress to the uh, semi finals, uh, or I think, or the second, or the next round of the the competition. Uh, Belgium against Czech Republic. I watched this one on ESPN three earlier in the week. Uh, commentary by uh, Dave Farrar. Uh, this one. Uh, the Czechs looked really good. Uh, despite losing 2-1, uh, the Czechs hit the post, I think, two or three times. And uh, Belgium really had to hang on for this one to get uh, to get a win. I think they've tied most of the matches recently. And uh, Vincent Company came back. This is his first match for Belgium in, since 2015, I believe. And he played most of the first half and um, seemed to do OK. But he's a long way off uh, full fitness and then i uh, watched uh, D- denmark against germany that was the, the the final game i watched this week uh, another friendly the friendlies i've been enjoying just because the level of football has been it's been competitive it's um for germany uh, they played how was that germany uh b team well it was uh, a lot of names i did not recognize so uh might have even been been a c team or, or maybe it's a b team but uh not that good, Kartik. actually uh
1: denmark no, no- uh, and Ralph Ralph Hanningstein described it as a C team uh, on ESPN FC this week. There. Okay. Uh, but there are some familiar names in there. But yeah, so we'll we'll go with C team. Okay, yeah, C
0: team. Yeah, I mean Denmark really controlled this match. Um, I think the Danish team was mostly their starters. So as far as competitive level, the Danes would have had more experience overall. Um, Phil Shane and Ray Hudson were doing the commentary on this one. And actually it was good to hear Ray back on the airwaves uh, after he took some time off uh, to grieve for the loss of his father uh, back in England. But um, but the match itself was was entertaining. Thumbs up. I I would definitely... uh, recommend checking out this uh, this german team i mean it's it's great to watch the, these german engines so to speak um with kind of, kind of the youth system moving through this conveyor belt and uh here's here's a whole new crop of players that uh i'm sure some of them will go on to, to, to do great things for uh for germany all right Kartik, let's move on and before we do i just do want, do want to sh- give a shout out to our sponsor and that's SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's uh, seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets with just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, and there's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have a SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've used it uh, this year quite a few times. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and just with a couple of taps, I can instantly find tickets. And I actually just used SeatGeek recently to look for tickets for Swansea's friendlies against Philadelphia, North Carolina, and Richmond. I think it's the North Carolina one I'm probably going to on July 22nd. Now, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the next seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, let's move on to streaming news, and we've got a lot of news this week. Actually, TV streaming news, I should say.
1: Yeah, there is a lot of news this week, and that's uh, th- what happens in the early summer months. Uh, the EP yesterday um, saw a, saw a story, I believe it was in the AP, uh, about um, Fox and the 2018 World Cup uh, where John Strong, Landon, Donovan, and Stu Holden will likely be the lead broadcast team, according to uh, David Neal, who's, of course, the executive producer over there. Uh, S- 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 Strong and Holden are going to call the U.S. game uh, on FS1 and um, uh, on uh, Sunday, and uh, the Confederations Cup uh, coverage you'll get into in a minute. But um, the headline said that Fox was going to have an all-American broadcast team at the World Cup. Now, I still hesitate to believe this is actually true that, that that's what uh the headline i saw wrote um i think they were talking about the the lead broadcast team um, and and again i yeah, yeah. I Saw this originally, yeah. Cost I saw it. this originally on Reddit.
0: Which actually, caught I caught, I caught the same thing too because I saw the headline and the headline said something along the lines of uh, Fox goes with all-American uh, broadcast team for the World Cup. And I read the story and I was like, wait a second, this doesn't match with what the headline says. So I, I'm sure it's one of those things where oftentimes the headline writer is completely separate, a different person than the person that writes the copy. And the person that wrote the copy didn't say in there that uh, it's going to be an all-American crew for the the World Cup. It will be an all-American... Lead crew, kind of lead commentary crew, of uh, John Strong, Landon Donovan, and Stu Holden,
1: probably for the World Cup, and that's what. Well, what uh, do you think about the three-man booth, Chris? This is. Um, I think we all go back back and forth on this. I'm I'm a little bit hesitant about Fox doing this, as 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 I could see for US games. But if that's going to be the lead team, because the US will probably be out of the tournament, um, either at the group stage or the round of sixteen, like well, they normally are. So yeah. uh, if they're going through the m- big matches with three. With uh, three and, let's say, presumably a fourth uh, who's adding information from uh, from the sideline, like Katie Whitman or whoever, um, you wonder how the dynamic is going to work.
0: Yeah, for me, I'm not a fan of the three-man booth. Uh, I'm probably more of a traditionalist. But, uh, but having said that, though, too, I mean, the three-man booth to me is more of a… Uh, Spanish language, whether it's Univision or Telemundo, that type of, type of tactic. Uh, I mean, for some of these Mexico games, I think we've seen like four or five people in the booth. It's really crowded. Um, my issue with the three-man booth is not so much that it's three people, but the selection that they've got. So they've got John Strong, which is great, fantastic, no problem fantastic. at all. Landon Donovan, I like, I, I like a lot there. Stu Holden, I, I, I like Stu Holden too, but I just think that Stu Holden and Landon Donovan are too similar. And I, I don't see, I would rather, nothing against Stu Holden, I think he's, he does a great job, but I'd rather have somebody else, maybe, um, well, I don't know, I was going to say Ronaldo. Somebody, somebody different, somebody, a different dynamic. How about
1: just John Strong and Landon Donovan? Well, I do, Although I have to mention Donovan has worked primarily with J.P. Delecambe, exactly. so we don't know how his dynamic will be with strong but i I, conceptually i think it would be a very good team very strong
0: yeah jp i mean jp and landon to me is the dream team um that's not going to happen because john strong's in there so who do you pair with john strong so and stew holden john strong together they're, they're they're good they're not amazing, so uh, probably from Fox's perspective, they're probably thinking. Okay, I this think is just about me. anyone
1: is good with John Strong. He's really, really good. So um, I don't know that they can get that wrong. But I'm w- wondering maybe Donovan, Donovan and Del Camera have been a really good team. Um, Donovan is newer at this than every than everybody else in in the um, in the group. Although let's face it, Landon Donovan has done has had to do far more interviews with media in both English and Spanish, and he's an especially good Spanish speaker, by the yeah. way. Um, that and Stu Holden or, or the, the other guys they have working for Fox that are uh, that are necessarily former U.S. national team players. Maybe not Brad Friedel. Brad Friedel did has done tons of interviews through the years. But um, I found that interesting, and Friedel is, is not uh, going to be part of that top uh, top team, which I also thought was uh, a little bit interesting. Uh, it seems like, uh, well, maybe we'll transition to uh, Confederations Cup news because he's being paired with J.P. Dell Camera during the Confederations Cup, which makes me think that perhaps that's the team, that's the um, the, the next Team for the World Cup the second string team if you will possibly but just
0: for a moment so let's stick on this for a moment uh, so one of the quotes from David Neal who's uh, the executive producer at Fox responsible for the World Cup coverage uh, at Fox and previously at NBC Universal he says at this moment that's where we're looking which is the John strong Landon Donovan Stu Holden obviously we've got 13 months before we have to lock this in so I'm I'm still I think a three man booth is a good idea. Just I just not sold on Stu Holden in there with John Strong and Landon Donovan. I think there could be somebody else that could step in and then maybe have Stu Holden do games with JP. Um I mean Landon should be in there for sure. I just think at this point in time they're kinda of throwing those three guys together, hoping it's gonna stick and hoping it's gonna work. But even by David Neal's quote, it sounds like there's an opportunity here for somebody to kind of uh, make a run for it, so to speak, and, and and get that third spot. I just I just don't think it's the ideal
1: uh, trio, at least at this point in time. Yeah, I. I- um, I don't know because they all, all three of them have their strengths. We just don't know if the tri- trio together mm-hmm. will uh, coalesce, and that's so important because you have a weakness in an analyst. Look, I, I know a lot of other people like Steve McManaman a lot. I don't rate him very highly, and um, Ian Dark I think has been was able to carry him. Yeah, uh, to a large extent during uh, the World Cup and the Euros that, he, that they did together and then of course also Premier League when ESPN had Premier League rights. Um, uh, In Taylor Twelman's case, he doesn't need to be carried by anyone. So the dynamic of those two guys together, two, two guys at the very top of their profession, Dark and employment is magic but sometimes it may not turn out that way if you have two really good and strong personalities those two are strong personalities in the booth a, lo-
0: a lot of it comes down to chemistry so i i see i mean Maka and uh, ian dark having a perfect chemistry as far as playing off each other kind of the older gentleman and the younger professional but just just kind of that chemistry between the two of them was perfect i just don't get that chemistry when i get uh, landon donovan stew holden and uh, john strong in the booth I just think that the Stu Holden is the weak link there, too. And not not in terms of uh, experience or analysis, but just in terms of chemistry. It just doesn't fit. They also sound alike a lot, too. Landon and Stu Yeah,
1: similar And They're both soft-spoken. I mean, it's a a bit of a different uh, approach because if you have someone who's as soft-spoken as Donovan, Donovan was always kind of soft-spoken and would exude confidence, a a quiet confidence. Confidence, but maybe also just a, a, a reserved nature in his interviews mm-hmm. when um, when he was a player. Uh, you, 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 and Holden is similar. You tend to think you might need a stronger, bombastic personality like a Alalis in the booth with yeah. those guys, right? Yeah. Or someone else who's who's going to be uh, or Winaldo. Winaldo would be uh, the, the the classic example. But they've gone with two soft spoken individuals, and I, I think um, analytically, Holden is decent, but I'm not. I'm not sure, he adds a lot more than Donovan. Look, Donovan, uh, Landon Donovan is really good, and he's really good at picking um, up things tactically, watching from the booth. Yeah. Well- we saw in the Copa America last year on the fly, and that's a, that's a skill uh, many co-commentators, uh, many number, uh, num- num- many analysts don't have. That's huge. So he's got that already. That's huge. I'm not sure Holden adds anything to that. You're, you're exactly. talking me into this as we're having this.
0: Discussion. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, Fox, so Fox has also announced the Confederations Cup uh, talent. So it would have been. John Strong, Stuart Holden, and Landon Donovan in a trio in, in Russia calling Confederations Cup. But Landon Donovan, uh, his wife is expecting, or his partner is expecting a child, so Landon Donovan's not going to be at the Confederations Cup. So it's going to be John Strong and Stu Holden. And they're going to be uh, commentating the games, uh, some of the games from Russia. So they're going to be uh, the leads commentary, uh, I guess, duo uh, there. However, Fox's other broadcast of the games uh, is going to be called off the studio, off the monitor in Los Angeles. And they've got J.P. Delacamera and Brad Friedel. And uh, also, I think, uh, Jorge Perez, uh, Navarro and uh, Kobe Jones. And uh, Kate Abdo is going to be providing studio coverage from Russia. Uh, Wild Fox. Uh, Wild Fox will be based in St. Petersburg, and the analysts they'll have uh, on the set are uh, Lothar Mateus, uh, Gus H- 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 Hedink, pardon me, and Eric Menaldo. So so far so good. Uh, well, I guess so far so good as far as the studio analysts there in St. Petersburg with Kate Abdo hosting. Mateus, we'll have to wait and see. Gus Hiddink should be interesting. Wijnaldum, it'll be great to see how Wijnaldum does with uh, Mateus and Hiddink kind of uh, on on the set there. Uh, I'm not happy with uh, Fox just sending one team of announcers for... not that this is a big tournament, but this is a big indicator of uh, kind of their intentions for next summer's World Cup coverage, which I'm sure they'll have everyone there for the World Cup coverage. But it's a good opportunity to have their people be there now. But they're, they're deciding not to do that. And then Rob Stone will anchor the LA studio, where it's going to be Alexi Lalas, uh, Arne Friedrich, the, the former uh, German international, uh, Fernando Fiore, uh, Ali Wagner... And uh, Mariano uh, Trujula uh, are the analysts there for the LX I, Studio. I,
1: I, I have to say, and we'll get into this next week, and we'll get into this on the site next week. I've uh, spent some time with Telemundo, as you have too, Chris, and their plans are far more um, how, how should I put it? They're, 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 they're sending. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, there you go. I,
0: I didn't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, to me, it sounds so far from what I've heard more comprehensive. And they're they're right. they're going for it. They're you mean sending all of their. We'll, we'll get into it in next week's podcast, but but they right. go into more details. So the one person, though, Kartik, uh, who's been omitted from this fox list, which I think is quite uh, enlightening, uh, someone who's been snubbed and knocked off the pecking order, is Ian Joy. Ian Joy is not on this list. Um, he's is the, that
1: because the, of NYCFC or?
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I mean as far as with Kate Abdo coming in and then. Um, Kind of kinda him getting knocked off the Bundesliga coverage except for when when Kate's not available uh, I think he's just gone down the pecking order for whatever reason I know from a Fox's perspective I think they're they're pushing the US angle the American angle pretty heavy but then again there too you have um, I guess Kate Abdo hosting the studio sets in in St. Petersburg and you've got you mean Lothar Mateus Gus Hiddink and uh, you got Ronaldo there maybe Ian Joy could have been there instead of Ronaldo, but Ronaldo's. To me, a better analyst at that level, um, I guess it's just they, they haven't been able to find a spot for him.
1: So, okay, I, I find it uh, I find it odd when you have a guy that, that's that versatile and that knowledgeable about um, different leagues and different um, levels of soccer that uh, you wouldn't find a use for him. Now, I assume that's because Confederations Cup isn't the World Cup. Um, let's see what happens a year from now. But yeah. I would be very yeah. disappointed in Fox if Ian Joy is not uh, featured in somewhat of a prominent role on their World Cup coverage. I, I, I would, and I would be stunned actually. I, I think that this is because it's Confederations Cup and MLS is playing through the Confederations Cup. There's, uh, I think that it has to do with that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was disappointed uh with that. Uh, I, I mean, he enjoy for those who don't know, he, he is American. He uh, was born in the United States. I think he grew up in San Diego. He's played um in the uh I think NSL, NASL or USL. I think he played for uh um,
1: Yeah, he Portland. played for- Portland in the USL, yeah, right, and right. Uh, USS FD2 League, yeah. right. So
0: even though he has a Scottish accent, he's uh, American through and through. So in other news, Karthik, what's going on with uh, Fox Deportes? Any any big
1: announcements this week? Yeah, uh, so they've got back the uh, rights from Commonwealth for uh, uh, Sudamericana and Libertadores, and that that's a very, very big deal because uh, it's also a big deal for me. It was much more accessible for me to watch Libertadores. I have all these uh, friends of mine who say, oh, you didn't watch the the Copa Lib last night? Well, it it was difficult for me to find. Uh, So it's going to be back on Fox Deportes, and this is um, a huge driver of ratings when Mexican teams are in uh, the tournament. Now, the the Copa Libertadores has not been won by a Mexican team yet, um, but uh, Mexican teams have gotten to the final often, and it's just some good football. And so... Uh, it's great that it's going to be back on kind of a mainstream platform Copa Sudamericana is more like Europa League uh, not really that interesting uh, once upon a time MLS teams competed in it Well, we haven't had an MLS team down there since DC United I believe in 2007 or 2008 mm-hmm. um, as the MLS champions they went down their Supporter Shield winners um, so it, it's good though it's good to have this uh, back on uh, US TV on Fox uh, the Fox Networks yeah
0: and the Copa Lib uh, the second stages or the final stages of the tournament uh, kicks off and july 4th uh,
1: unfortunately no no mexican teams oh it. oh i should point that out that's part of the benefit of copa lib is that the finals are during the summer when europe is, is shut down right. so it gives you something to watch uh if you have nothing else to watch look i, I mean if people are in the u.s they should be watching our domestic leagues but no, in large part they're not so um this gives you something to watch
0: yeah plus the passion from the the, the crowds i mean just definitely electric atmosphere is there uh, in other news so uh, an- here 's another example of how soccer is the sport of the future in the u s which which I think i don 't know i think it 's a little bit condescending to say that i think it is it is a sport now it's it 's a top four sport in the u s and uh, will continue to grow in the future but according to new research published by sports Business Journal, soccer is the youngest median TV audience uh, age so so the average ages of um, people that watch La liga is thirty nine international soccer is 39 major league soccer is 40 the nba 42 so the nba is the youngest uh median age of tv watching in the us for an american traditional sport. uh epl is 43 nfl is 50 and major league baseball is 57 so it's so the so you're looking at the soccer which is anywhere from 39 to 43 Uh, NFL is 50, Major League Baseball is 57. So why does this matter? So for advertisers, this is huge because the 18-year-old to 49-year-old male demographic is the sweet spot for advertisers. Um, That's what they're looking at in terms of all the big media buys on television and streaming now these days too. Uh, Anyone younger or older than that age range, uh, advertisers aren't interested in because usually 18 to 49 is... uh, People with more disposable income, uh, they're more willing to buy products and, and services, and um, that is the sweet spot. So if you're within that eighteen to forty nine range, you're doing great. Major League Baseball fifty seven average age uh, is average median age is uh, that's bad news because I mean that number is continuing to grow year over year, and just shows that there's far fewer younger people that are really watching baseball. It's it's more the your father's generation or your grandfather's generation that continue to watch baseball. Uh, of course, there's new and new younger fans coming in, but not at the rate of, of soccer. So that's good news for, uh, for the, the soccer industry in the U.S.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, it is, no doubt. Um, and, I, and I think it, it shows kind of what we had um, basically assumed about median age and the demographics trend, trending younger for the sport.
0: Totally. So, last but not least, uh, two, uh, two big stories from the streaming world this week. And that's first, is that PlayStation View has dropped. Be In Sports and Be In Sports and español from its programming as of June eighth, and that's a huge blow to soccer fans uh, who had view who wanted to watch La Liga games as well as World Cup qualifiers from CONMEBOL, etc. Uh, no reason was given by PlayStation View uh, why they decided to remove uh, Be In Sports, but for a few subscribers, this is a huge blow. Uh, as we know, I mean, Be In Sports provides. I mean. They have so many rights. I mean, so many different competitions. It's for a soccer fan. It's it's a must-have. Um, and then second, and uh, lastly, uh, Fubo TV has added uh, a new feature. It's called Look Back, and it's it's a on-demand uh, programming functionality feature, um, very similar to that. And the way it works is that for the past seventy-two hours. So, so for example, if there's a game this weekend, um, say it's the Mexico against US game on Sunday and you miss it, you're at partying, uh, and you forget to set the, the the DVR on Fubo to record it. So uh, up to 72 hours after that game, at uh, any point, you can go back in, and on the, on the homepage of Fubo, you can go back in, click on the calendar, and you can go back in time for 72 hours and catch that game and watch it. Um, the whole game, uh, just hit play and off you go. So it's a great feature. It's not available at this moment for every single uh, channel that Fubo has, but it is available for all the major um, soccer networks. So it has FS1, FS2, B In Sports, B In Sports and en- Español, and I think there's a couple of other ones too, but it's, it's on the website. We've got more information at worldsoccertalk.com. So definitely check that out if you're a Fubo uh, subscriber. Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings and... Uh, uh, a big one, UE- UEFA Champions League final um, last weekend, and that was on Fox, and that had uh, uh, 1.76 million viewers there, plus 1.2 million viewers on Fox Deporters, for a combined total of uh, just over 3 million viewers. Uh, what's your thoughts on that one?
1: It's a similar number to last year. It's a good number. Uh, I, this is... The ultimate showcase in football, it is actually better football than the World Cup final. It should be. So I'd love to see the numbers continue to grow. Um, Fox uh, has put it on uh, platforms where it can grow. Uh, Let's see what Turner does when they get the rights uh, in a year. Let's hope that doesn't uh, lead to a decline in in visibility and ratings uh, for the final
0: yeah and it could do because uh well it I guess it gets two years from now so they'll start the coverage t- 2018 summer like august but uh yeah with uh Fox having i mean over the air coverage access uh Turner I guess would not right Turner would not have any uh over the air uh, yeah. access so th- so that would be yeah a, a huge blow there too but i I mean that, that
1: having been said uh, we don't know what their coverage plans are for the tur- True. tournament itself but tnt and tbs and true tv are far more kind of in, uh maybe less so true tv but the other two are far more in people's consciousness to, to find sporting events at uh and just programming in general than fs1 and fs2 so yeah. Yeah, T- um T- and you TBS would, would might great. take a step back in the final but you need to take a step forward in the rest of the tournament
0: that's
1: true that's true so then the and other- then of course univision which has a greater scope than fox Deportes. so that's that's uh, ah. an offset there there
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I actually didn't think about that because Univision will have, this, will have it uh, 2018 uh, onwards. Uh, Univision over-the-air final would be absolutely massive, I'm sure. Um, and, and actually, the good news about this number, too, is that um, as we've seen from NFL and, and other sports, too, EPL included, uh, TV numbers this season are down compared to last season. A lot of it is because of cord-cutting. And uh, these numbers are actually just a little bit more uh, than last year's uh, by about 3,000 viewers. But still, that's progress. And that's a good news there for uh, the, the soccer folks at Fox. So uh, some other numbers that ch- jumped out this week. Uh, we don't have all the numbers in yet. Uh, we will publish them at WolfSoccerTalk.com when they're available. Uh, 1.5 million people tuned in for the Mexico against Ireland friendly on uh, Unimas. Um, that one doesn't include the uh, Univision Deportes number. Uh, the Venezuela USA friendly, uh, the 1-1 draw, that was uh, – what was it? It was uh, 492,000 people watched it on FS1 and 838,000 people watched it on Univision. Um, again, that doesn't include the Univision Deportes number. So, um, so over one point two, 1. 1.3 million there plus uh, some other numbers to come in too. I'm
1: struck always by the – number of people who watch games on Univision uh, Deportes when matches are on Univision over the air, and and, uh, maybe our listeners can give us some feedback on this. Is it because you're in a market where you don't have a Univision over the air network? Is it just uh, familiarity? You go to that channel a lot for MLS games and League MX games, so you go to it also for these national team games that are on both. I've just... I shouldn't say I'm confused by that. I'm just kind of – I find it fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely curious uh, on that one. And then uh, some of the other numbers uh, at um, MLS, we had uh, Portland against San Jose on Unimas on Friday. Um, again, this doesn't include the Univision, Univision Deportes number but it had um, almost 290,000 viewers. Uh, Sporting KC against Minnesota on ESPN, and that one had uh, 256,000 viewers. And then uh, Orlando against Chicago, the debacle, that one had 211,000 uh, on FS1. So open- you know,
1: I've, I, I've been watching Ted Uncle for uh, the official, for, for seven or eight years. In fact, he was an official in the NASL when I worked in the NASL, our very first uh, ceremonial game with our ball, Fort Lauderdale against Tampa Bay. He lives in the Tampa area, by the way. Uh, he was the official, so <laughs> I have some pictures with him. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to officiate another Orlando City game. And, of course, he's, uh, he's kind of... Local, so um, yeah. you don't want to fly your referees all over the country. Boy, what a debacle that game was. So um, fortunate that only 211,000 people viewed it, which is less than the other nationally televised MLS games this weekend because uh, it was a bad advert for the league. So I'm, I'm glad very few people, and not just for the league, just for the standard of officiating everything in U.S. soccer. I'm, I'm very glad that, uh, and uh, fan rowdiness, all of that stuff. I'm glad that not that many people watched it.
0: Yeah, honestly. Hopefully, Video Assistant Referee Technology will catch that in the future. Well, it's coming. It's it's
1: coming, right. It's coming very soon. Um, And the the Ramos uh, red card was rescinded by MLS. The Nocturino won, I don't believe, Orlando City Appeals. So I guess uh, that that's going to stick, but, uh, they, but for, for those who don't know, Orlando played much of the game with nine men. Which um, last season, I was at the game when these two teams played at the Citrus Bowl, and Chicago got a ridiculous red card, and I believe Ted Uncle might have been the official that night too. I think he was got an official red card, uh, got a ridiculous red card early in the match, and had to had to play the match out with ten men, and, and play and also got uh, a one-one a draw in that game. So this fixture, for some reason, each season there's. Um, some dodgy officiating and, and uh, uh, fan controversies and, and such. So um, uh, maybe Orlando shouldn't play Chicago <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Overall, though, for Major League Soccer,
0: so you do you see a little bit of a bump now that the European seasons are over? So we've got uh, yeah, Unitas yeah. in, in the two hundred thousands. So that's uh, a good sign. It's, um, hopefully that will continue to, to grow over the
1: coming weeks. Hopefully that sustains itself. I mean, I, I think it's uh, it would really help if the U.S. qualified for the federation's cup which they obviously almost did um losing an, an extra time uh, to Mexico in that playoff match, uh, because I think that would have really given the, the bump to MLS uh, with an MLS-heavy squad that the U.S. has now. Um, unlike uh, Mexico, and we've talked about this, Mexico's going to the Confederations Cup with probably their most European-heavy squad they've ever had. Um, so they're kind of going the reverse. They're having more and more guys leave Liga MX uh, in the primes of their careers, whereas the U.S. is having uh, fewer and fewer guys uh, outside their domestic league in the full national Team that that will change as we saw the US U20 team that performed pretty well at the U20 World Cup is largely a team made up of guys that have uh, come through uh, MLS academies and moved abroad or are guys that have uh, are already abroad. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so let's move on to listen to Mailbag. Uh, the first comment is through Twitter, and that's from uh, John Ard. or John Arder. Uh, He says that Brad Friedel is so bad. Will he be the main guy on the World Cup uh, coverage in 18? Well, we already answered that one. He's not going to be the main guy, and uh, it's going to be most likely uh, Landon Donovan and Stu Holden as the, the co-commentators there. But uh, Brad Friedel, I guess his style definitely is definitely very monotone, very flat. Um, but uh, if you do listen to what he has to say, uh, oftentimes there's some, some good analysis there. But uh, obviously, not not a, a favorite there with John. Uh, the next one is from Steve, and this is from, uh, he posted this on WolfSoccerTalk.com. He says, uh, "Kartik, will you talk in some future pod about MLS, NWSL scheduling matches during the Champions League final?" I missed. Seeing the winning uh, NYCFC goal because I switched to UV against Real Madrid, uh, like most soccer fans around the world, who runs our U.S. soccer leagues and yeah, do they actually I, follow soccer.
1: Uh, look, I, I uh, thank you for the question, Steve. I, I maybe we should have mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I um, I have to say this has been a major topic of conversation during the course of the week. For, for people I talk to. And uh, everybody's kind of annoyed by it. Um, there was a nationally televised NWSL game. They're always in the same time slot on Lifetime, so maybe give them a, a, a pass on that. There were two MLS games, two or three MLS games that overlapped. Now, the NYCFC Philly game being the most prominent because it overlapped. The end of it overlapped with the uh, uh, first half of the Champions League finals. So uh, I don't know. I don't get it. And uh, it, it, it's... Um, it's very odd to me because this is the same thing that we've seen happen time and again uh, with, with, with Major League Soccer. They've gotten better about their scheduling. But I remember the time Seattle was playing a game in 2009 while the U.S. was in the Confederations Cup final mm-hmm. against Brazil. Now, the Brazilian League had taken an executive order, even though it was only the Confederations Cup, to postpone every league game that day to other days. But um, Seattle, and it was their first year after moving up from U.S., so they played the game. They kicked off the game while the U.S. was, uh, was fighting for their lives. Uh, remember, they were up 2-0 in that game and gave up three goals in the second half to Brazil. Uh, it's very odd. And there have been other cases of this. I mean, that was eight years ago, but there have been other cases since. So uh, bizarre.
0: So Clayton Davis uh, sent in an email. He says, uh, listen to your great podcast. I would love a, a two-season year in Major League Soccer like Liga MX and the NASL, although the schedule would be even more unbalanced than it is now due to the large number of teams, which I'm, I'm willing to accept. There does need to be less travel in MLS. I don't know if there are enough population centers in the Deep South in the United States to have two strong leagues at different times of the year. I think he's alluding to the, uh, the Northern League and Southern League idea. He says uh, it would have to be the Deep South that would play in the winter, Florida, Texas, and Southern California. I think the Southern League would be like the size of the NESL now, maybe a little bit bigger. Can you imagine MLS without LA Galaxy, Orlando, and FC Dallas? So it's a good point there too, Carter, because I think he's talking about the, the Northern League and Southern League idea. So if you do had a Southern League that plays during the wintertime and the Northern League that plays during the summertime and you figure out a way to kind of match them up and have a, a championship playoff uh, series, um, that you would, f- for the Northern League, uh, be missing LA Galaxy, Orlando and FC Dallas, three of some of the, uh, Atlanta too, I'd add to that, four yeah. of the most exciting teams in Major League Soccer right now. There's no easy
1: solution. Uh, yeah. Right there is no easy solution and I think um unfortunately the weakest MLS markets are, are uh it's an imbalance it's it's leans towards um uh bigger markets in in the northeast and the midwest uh the, the northeastern markets plus chicago are the weakest markets for MLS right now so um, there is no easy answer. There is no easy solution. But as uh, those of us who uh, live in Florida can tell you, the last week has, has, has demonstrated why it's very difficult to play through the summer months in the state. I, uh, as the former NASL communications director, had to deal with uh, countless numbers of uh, postponements, delays, all of that stuff with Tampa Bay games, Fort Lauderdale games, and Carolina Railhawks games, and, and Atlanta games, when we had an Atlanta team, Silverbacks. So it's just the weather in the southeast is prohibitive to playing this time of year and because of the, the, the climate in the north, you have to play through this um, these months and it's very very much dictated by um, the New York media market, Chicago, the, the large cities of this country, uh, at the time when s- s- these things were conceived were all, all northeast and Midwest, population has shifted south, but I don't think the thinking has shifted south mm-hmm. with it, right?
0: So last week's pod, we talked about uh, Liga MX and some of the uh, the lessons that MLS could learn from how well the league is doing uh, both off the pitch um, as well as on the pitch. And uh, Pedro from... Uh, so actually, he posted this on uh, on the website dot willsoccertalk.com. He says, uh, you guys missed the underlying and very important story to the Liga MX final, and I believe that uh, that is what it made it more of an interesting and appealing matchup. And that is the foreign-filled, uh, player-filled Tigris against the all Mexican Chivas, along with Guadalajara, reaching the final after an eleven-year dry spell. So
1: yeah,
0: I think. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say too, because Liga MX, it's I mean, a league that we we've known about for quite a long time, of course, and catch the occasional game here and there. Uh, for me personally, it's only within the last couple of years that I've paid a lot more closer attention to the league as it's grown in popularity and and as I've when I've watched it, I mean, I've been watching it for a couple of decades, at least seen the odd occasional game. But in the last couple of years, I've been seeing more of the games and they've been impressing me more and more. So um, it's great, I think, for Pedro to add that perspective, something that uh, a newer viewer to Liga MX such as myself uh, would not have known.
1: So, Karteck. So, if any listeners, do you have any? questions... Well, real quick, real okay, quickly, sure. You have to be qu- quickly with how you present that um, argument because I think uh, what what I went through a decade ago and eight years ago were a lot of Chivas fans, a lot of Guadalajara fans, seeing America and Cruz Azul and all these teams. They're dependent on uh, America at the time, especially and Pachuca uh, are dependent on uh, these uh, South American imports and the occasional guy from Europe, like obviously Tigris has got Gignac. We're a pure team. We're a pure Mexican team and using it kind of in xenophobic terms. So I'm always very weary of the Chivas argument against other clubs in Mexico who are quote foreign filled. Uh, that having been said, I, I uh, respect Chivas's integrity and their purity and their principles. Uh, I like Clubs in Europe that do things like that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, a big fan of what Athletic Bilbao does, uh, but I, I don't like—I don't necessarily like it broadcast against the other guys who uh, who are bringing in players from South America, especially. And then in Tigres' case, a, a prominent European player as well. So, if the
0: listeners do have any feedback, uh, questions, and uh, comments, send us uh, those to us, and we'll read them out on air. Uh, the email address is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter is WSoccerTalk, and Facebook is facebook.com slash Talk. So, Karthik, we're moving on to our featured topic of the week, and that is uh, the big news this week, which uh, uh, mid midweek, I think it was on Tuesday um, or Wednesday. The, the week's going by so quickly. Actually, Tuesday. Um Miami commissioners uh, uh, had a meeting and uh, they approved the opportunity for uh, Beckham to go ahead and get the final piece of land uh, in Overtown, uh, Miami, uh, downtown Miami, in order to have all the land that they need to go ahead and build a a stadium. So uh, what's left now is that uh, the city of Miami has to approve it and then Major League Soccer has to approve the uh, stadium plan. But a massive hurdle has been overcome um, especially from the kind of the local uh, I guess vociferous kind of uh, feedback on, on why a lot of the local residents didn't want to have the stadium there uh, but uh, it passed so now we're looking at uh, how a, a Beckham, Uh, miami beckham united or whatever the name will be of this team uh how this will impact major league soccer in the future if it does uh become so and uh to get your insight in terms of uh what are some of the the benefits to major league soccer of having a team in miami uh following up on a story that you wrote this week too on the florida squeeze on on your website uh, that goes into a lot more detail
1: yeah so um I've kind of come around a little bit on this Miami to uh, MLS uh, issue because I, I've I've realized that it has a lot to do with external, non-South Florida related factors. It has to do with the important the uh, MLS television contracts, MLS's media presence, their ability to uh, take players when they visit the area and take them to Telemundo and in and, and Univision and everybody else whose large media operation and large football operation is based out of South Florida. Uh, it, it has a lot to do with presence overseas, the ability to attract foreign players, high-profile foreign players to Major League Soccer. If you have a team in Miami, which is considered a destination for many in Europe and, and Latin America, uh, you can see Italian players, Cristiano Ronaldo, those types of players wanting to wanting to live in Miami. Uh, the market itself, I remain uh, skeptical as to the, the, the I, I think, MLS will have similar struggles here as they've had in Philadelphia. Um, not in year one in Philadelphia, but after that. And similar struggles to what they've had in Chicago uh, since Peter Wilt left it organization in 2005 and the sorts of struggles that at times the Los Angeles Galaxy have had quite frankly in spite of their attendance numbers uh, getting penetration among the local sports fans, getting penetration among the local media, not that Hispanic dominant um, national and international media I talked about a minute ago I think those challenges still remain I don't think it's a very good market for professional soccer, that's been proven what, by what's happened at the NASL level, the four strikers who I worked with uh, who I also worked—I uh, worked with as a striker a consultant, I worked with From the NASL level, have now gone on hiatus. Their attendance declined just about every single season. Um, The first year they were in NASL in 2011, they had the best attendance of any team that wasn't moving to MLS, Montreal being the team in the league that was moving to MLS. And gradually, the other six teams that were below them at the time passed them in attendance, and the attendance declined um, as the novelty wore off. Uh, I think uh, Miami FC, which is playing in the market now, has largely inflated attendance numbers because of concerts and other things. They're doing a good job Mm -hmm. with what they've got, but it's a situation where no one really cares about minor league soccer. There's no intensity to that fan base. There's no buzz about the club. Um, The soccer market is very fragmented. We have seven teams between NPSL and PDL in this area. Uh, Most parts of the to the country, even if they have uh, a Major League Soccer team, have two, maybe three teams in PDL or NPSL, if even that. I mean, I'm thinking New York. The New York area has. Uh has about the same number between PDL and NPSL as South Florida does, but South Florida is one has one-fourth of the population or one-third of the population of greater New York. So, um, And I think we have more NPSL and PDL teams probably than the LA metropolitan area. So that tells you how fragmented the soccer base is here because everybody is an expert. Everybody has some local ties to South Florida, and they um, – and and they want to start their own clubs, and uh, on top of that, we have the issue of the elephant in the room, which is Stephen Ross and the Miami Dolphins and Relevant Sports, and their ability to continuously bring one or two big ICC games to the area, charge high ticket prices, and um, basically price people make have force people to make a choice. Do you want to see Real Madrid in person or do you want to see MLS in person? I think a lot of people will choose Real Madrid. That all having been said, I've turned around on this thinking now MLS needs to get this done because of those other factors. I realize their their insistence on being back in Miami has has very little to do with the local market all the things i outlined they're well aware of in mls hq don garber and mark abbott know the what i just said about the market it tends to be true but there are other reasons they need it especially with a guy like david beckham you put david beckham's face on uh on this franchise on this club you get worldwide media and you get worldwide attention so um the marriage of miami and beckham is good for mls
0: Yeah, I've been down on this a little bit too, uh, on on some of the stories I've posted on worldsoccertalk.com. It's it's been a while since I've done one, but... uh but from this point, from well, when it started, this started about four years ago, um, when Beckham was uh, going to the, the Miami Heat games and was making a very visible presence there, and spending a lot more time in Miami. And then about three years ago, I, th- I believe it was um, for the press conference that they they announced to, that they were launching this team. Um, since then, it's been one disaster after another, and it's really been a. I mean, it, c- it couldn't have gone worse in terms of the way that this uh, club and and uh, everything they've gone through to to get to the, where where they are today. As of today, they look like they're in a good spot. Uh, they've brought in uh, Tim Laiwiki and a whole bunch of other uh, professionals uh, to really um, hone this down and ma- make it happen. So I'm a lot more optimistic and positive on it now than it was in the past when they first announced it. I'm a little bit more, um, I think, uh, confident, Kartik, than you are in terms of attendance. Um, you mentioned examples of uh, Chicago, uh, LA Galaxy, and uh, Philadelphia Union. And each of those three teams are playing outside the city. They're playing in Bridgeview or chester or carson uh even though this is in overtown uh it's close to downtown miami Um, in terms of the transportation it's going to be a little bit sticky to get to for some people coming from broward or palm beach county they're going to have to probably take tri-rail or drive down and go into a parking garage uh the northern part of the city and then take Metrorail or, uh, or some other um, method uh, buses to get to the game. But I'm confident that with the population size and with a pent-up, it's been 16 years, 16 years since there's been a, a top-flight team in in, uh, in the Miami market. Uh, this is going to be massive. Uh, in the beginning, it's going to be a huge buzz. And uh, and then hopefully, if it's a winning team, that fans will continue to come back. My thing, though, Karthik, is on this one is, um, I think the big question and the the big uh, thing that's floating out there is that if you're a Honda or a Procter & Gamble or say a Volkswagen and you're talking to Major League Soccer and you're saying, okay, hey, well, we're talking about this big media buy. We're interested in becoming a sponsor with Major League Soccer. Okay, let's talk about all the different cities that uh, Major League Soccer is in. Okay, Los Angeles, New York, you mean Chicago, et cetera. What about Miami? Uh, we don't have a team in Miami. Oh, So when you think about it too, in terms of a TV market, the size of uh, Miami, not only the size of Mi- Miami, Fort Lauderdale area TV market. Uh, but I, how often in um, the most viewed World Cup games, the most viewed Premier League games, most viewed uh, La Liga games, most of that, well, not most of it, but a lot of it is Miami is usually number one, number two, or number three in those markets. Is a very, very soccer-centric market. With no team, uh, yes, there will be challenges. Yes, it will be difficult, but I believe this will be a success. And, and if, for, if anything, from Major League Soccer, which is why they've had so much patience on this that they didn't pull the plug a long time ago, they have to be in this market in order to be, from a business perspective, uh, to, to be a player with a major brands to say, okay, yes, we're going to get your brand out there. We're going to have. Uh, Lots of viewers tuning in to watch games um, from the Miami area, and that's going to hopefully give us a boost in the TV numbers too. But uh, I see this as a big TV slash business play for Major League Soccer, and hopefully the team will do well too and go on to bigger and better things. But that, that's that's my thoughts on uh, MLS's perspective on this one.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. So that, that makes uh, makes a lot of sense. I think sponsorship... You- when you talk to sponsors and you get sponsors at the table, that's a big part of it. And I, and so it's important for people listening to this, um, and, I, and I think we've kind of exhausted the arguments here, but it's important for them to understand this is a lot about a, a lot more than local attendance. This is about a lot more than local fan support. Now, when you put a team in Salt Lake City or when you put a team in, in, in Orlando or you put a team in... A, in, in, in potentially cincinnati uh it's all about the attendance it's all about the local buzz um and, and that's that's fair and that's fair for those markets i think the reason as you said mls has been so patient with miami is that they're external factor this is the reason mls forced that second team in new york when there really wasn't much demand for it uh, i i will say i don't think there's a whole lot of demand in south florida for major league soccer but they're going to force the issue and they're going to force the issue for issues uh largely unrelated to the local market and to the local demand in the soccer market.
0: And, and with having it be in Miami too and, and in terms of trying to get some of these players um, some, I mean well, it's Latin who's mentioned he's interested in, in Miami in the past, I mean I mean you can get probably any of the big names uh, from around the world in the latter stages of, the, of their career if they want to go down that path but uh, Miami would be one of probably the, in the top three locations where players would want to continue playing their, uh, their playing career after they've finished at Man United or, or Real Madrid or wherever I mean, Miami is the go-to place and a lot a lot of the soccer stars come over here and vacation their vacation in here now um when, when they have time off so it is a, a destination uh for the athletes uh which should give
1: them op- an opportunity to sign some big big names well if you sign Zlatan you'll win a trophy right because <laughs> <laughs> that's just generally the pattern right he yeah. wins uh, uh league titles he wins clubs a cup competitions, wherever he goes. So uh, maybe maybe Miami needs to hurry up and make sure they get on him before he retires. <laughs> so I'm sure this week to, uh,
0: in MLS uh, HQ in New York City, they were doing some high fives. This is a huge relief in terms of this team now taking a giant step forward. Still a long way to go to get this all set up. And hopefully by 2020, it looks like uh, this team will have a stadium built and ready to kick off Um Perhaps well, twenty twenty is not that far away when you think about it. Kartik, what does this mean for um, Tampa Bay and 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 St Petersburg and, and
1: their uh, push for M- M- Major League Soccer? Well, I think they're I think they're behind anyway uh, in terms of um, in terms of some of the other expansion uh, possibilities for twenty twenty. Uh, uh, they're, they're not that far out. I, right now, I've got uh, San Antonio, San Diego, uh, Sacramento, Raleigh, Durham, Phoenix ahead of them, and Cincinnati. So they're, they're seventh. Four teams are going to get in. There's any number of things that could happen uh, between all those markets uh, as we go forward. But I, I think the perception is it hurts them. Um at the same time, it may actually help them because then you have three teams in real close proximity if they're added, and you've got natural rivals. You've got you've got kind of a Cascadia thing going on in Florida with three teams, Tampa Bay, Orlando, and Miami. Now, Tampa Bay and Orlando already have a rivalry, even though they've never been in the same league. Uh, they played in U.S. Open Cup matches. They played uh, in friendly matches, and uh, the fan rivalry is off the charts. Those two teams are about 90 miles from each other. So that's, that rivalry is already there. Uh, Now, as far as uh, Miami, that would be a third wheel uh, in in established rivalry, but it would probably happen because of close proximity to both markets and the historic rivalry that uh – Teams from Fort Lauderdale, and Miami, have had with the rowdies through the years,
0: and, and that's the thing about Miami, Kotech. That we, uh, sometimes I forget, though. But uh, there's a lot of people out there that hate Miami. It, there's a very, a very heavy anti-Miami bias. Uh, a
1: lot of oh yeah, we see that there's a, a in the up. media too. I mean, look, I mean, LeBron James got criticized to no end for signing in Miami. If he had signed with the New York Knicks, and I'm going to offend a lot of people here, if he had signed with the New- New York Knicks, they'd be talking about what a hero he was, how great, uh, this great, the greatest uh, player of a generation going to the most important city to try and lift that city out of its doldrums and win a title there. But because he signed with Miami, there was this resentment that followed him for the four years he was with the Miami Heat uh, hmm. and this anti Miami thing going on throughout the country. So, and that was the first time I really. I realized how powerful it was, was when LeBron signed here instead of signing with the Knicks.
0: Yeah. For, for me, um, for me though, and, th- and I think that'll continue for me, though, car it has been from a soccer perspective in terms of some of the stories we've written about Miami in the past. This is going back in the last 10 years now, but there was always a lot of it was MLS fans, like a huge anti Miami bias where they just would just hate on Miami. Right.
1: It was an anti Florida bias. And then the Orlando thing kind of cured that. Although again, I think that there's this general assumption that, uh, um, there, there there was I think now we're past it, but even year one, there was this assumption among other MLS fans, oh, well, Orlando's attendance will eventually fade. It's Florida, it's transient, uh, it's summertime. And all of that is true. It's transient, it's summertime. There are other things to do. There are a lot of other things to do in Orlando, but they have a hardcore fan base. Uh, But I hear some of those same concerns about Tampa Bay. Oh, there are other things to do there. Mm -hmm. The market has failed before. I think it it was generally an anti-Florida bias, but it's more a Miami thing, you're right.
0: And and the reason I mention that too is that uh, in terms of TV ratings, uh, if and when Miami does launch in 2020 or around, around then, there will be people that will watch and tune in to the games uh, just to hope that Miami loses, to hope that they go down in flames. I mean, maybe not in flames, but definitely uh, have a tough time. So um, that adds a, a different dimension to the league. And and actually, maybe that'll help TV ratings. You've got people tuning in to cheer Miami
1: uh, Beckham United on and others hoping that they fail. Fail. Right. There are no, there are no real villain teams in uh, MLS now look I think a lot of us don't like dealing with Seattle fans and Orlando has kind of become similar I have different experiences with Orlando because I'm because I'm a Floridian but I, I do realize why people dislike Orlando and dislike their fans but there's no real villain mm-hmm. team the the thinking was maybe NYCFC would turn into that but it hasn't really happened so maybe miami turns into that team and once you have that villain team there are people who turn on to uh, turn on games on nbc so that they can watch manchester united lose we know this is the, the, the case even though we don't have any empirical data about it uh, there are people who will turn on bns so that they can watch real madrid lose so mls probably needs that team at some point and it's uh uh, it hasn't developed it partly because of their insistence on parody. Um the reasons we hate some clubs are because of, of of their fans like I said Seattle and Orlando stick out in, in that regard uh, look when I uh, I have to tell you Seattle it's been, it's been going on since they were in the lower divisions when they were in USL uh, 12 15 years ago fans of the opposing teams hated Seattle because of their fans so it's it's that's been a consistent thing but MLS needs that kind of pantomime villain right maybe it's Beckham and Miami yeah Miami can- be it so, Kartik. Uh, where can listeners find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at KKFLA737 on Twitter.
0: Okay, guys. So, well, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast uh, every Thursday or Friday. Uh, every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy
1: your football.